0: Oh, that is, that's an excellent question. (laughs) I guess Uh we came up with it. Hi, I'm Ripke Silver.
1: And I'm Alex Flexcher. And this is Normal From Women, the podcast where we embrace the complexities, nuances, and joys of From Womanhood.
0: Normal From Women is supported by the Grove Kosher Market. The Grove isn't just a grocery store, it's a destination, a vibrant part of the community. And the Grove shows its investment in Cleveland with a special teacher discount. Teachers can show their local teacher ID and enjoy a 5% discount off their shopping. There's also a lot of delicious food being prepared for Yantav, so visit the Grove's social media accounts or website to check out their extended holiday hours this month and to see what you can pick up. Ready, fresh, Grove.
1: Hello, everyone. We are happy to have you back for this episode of Normal from Woman. And today's episode is titled Back to Normal. Whatever normal means, <laughs> and assuming we were ever normal in the first place. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> uh, there's something about this time of year. You know, summer
0: ended, school started, we all just want to get back to normal. And then school stops and then we're middle of the end of season. So we still want to get back to normal. There's this desire to, you know, have some sort of semblance of routine. However we define normal and whatever it means to us, we want it.
1: Yeah. And sometimes I wonder if like maybe it's the here and now that's normal and exactly what we should be focusing, you know, just like the day-to-day, whatever it
2: is. Yeah, Not like- trying
1: to like, I don't know, aspire for some whatever random definition of normal that we think is meant to be this ideal existence. Right. But it would just be like, very like mindful and present for like, what, what is our, what it was, what is our life actually looking
0: like right now? Like, right. what is that normal? Exactly. I, I love that. I love that. It's very profound. I think, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and I think there is like something to be said for routine and to have, I guess, um, aspirations for some sort of routine that is functional. So yeah. I think, you know, yeah, the ups and downs and fluctuating schedules are something that we need to handle and embrace and you know, to have that flexibility to be like dancing on moving pieces. Mm. Um, But definitely having predictability can be very helpful in stabilizing. It's it's definitely something that I am constantly striving to kind of like retool my family's schedules and to see like where we can infuse it with the most amount of stability considering all the moving parts. Uh
1: yeah, yeah, and I mean, I'm even finding now, like that, you know. Well, I know it's Yansov season, but when school started, like mm-hmm. it was that sort of like glimpse of like, oh wow, like we all wake up at a certain time, like we all have some place <laughs> to be at a certain time. Especially like with all the shutdowns and lockdowns from the year before, it feels so good to have some kind of routine. Absolutely. Um, but I don't. You think like a lot of this has to do with people's personalities too, like. For some of us who really thrive on routine, you know, there are those people who have those like color-corded dinner schedules and all that down to an art, you know, to deal with those disruptions of schedules that young have brings and transition periods bring, that can be like really hard for some people.
0: Yes, you are speaking to me, Alex. I
1: am uh-huh. those people. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, we, I,
0: you know, that's one of the things that I have, um I to work on is that like to have more flexibility and not to be so rigid in the routine and to be able to like take a deep breath and be calm when something inevitably, you know, there's a, a, schedule change or, um, or just whatever unexpected things come up, even just appointments or even just meet the teacher night, you know, I'm like, but no, but this is our bedtime routine and meet the teachers mm-hmm. is really messing it up. But, um, you know, to just be flexible and, and to be chill. So all these transitional periods and like, they just keep coming. Mm-hmm. Um, so today we're talking about transitions Settling into life after transitions, managing big big transitions, like the one that we're all experiencing in a world that we thought was Um, (laughs) post-COVID. We speak with Dr. Aviva Goldstein, whose passion is positive psychology and who focuses her work on the transitions that gap year students experience, particularly spending their year in Israel and then coming home from their year in Israel. We all know that big, um, huge transition in the lives of young people. Um, So if you have a child who just came back from Israel or who's there now, this episode is definitely for you.
1: Oh yeah. This episode is for me. My son, my (laughs) oldest is there now and we are still in transition, this transition stage and Dr. Goldstein has just some amazing tips for us parents if we do have kids experiencing their gap year. Um, She also discusses like stresses that transitions bring in general. Um, Fantastic insights and tips. We cannot wait to share with you about that. And by the end of today's episode, we hope you feel empowered to face whatever transitions you're experiencing head on with confidence and clarity. Yes, but first, time for a montage. We asked a few normal from women, what
0: part of the year do you find the most difficult when it comes to transitions?
1: Okay, let's voice note. For me, the hardest part to transition is from camp to school. Because the kids feel the taste of freedom from camp and don't. Know what it's like to not be entertained anymore for the next two weeks between camp and school. And getting them to like get restructured on a daily basis, even prior to school starting, it's just, it's extremely, extremely hard. They're still riled up, they still feel freedom, they still feel happy, they still feel gleeful and excited. And to get them to kind of, like, settle down is very, very challenging. These last two weeks have been very challenging for us. And then to transition back to school, getting a normal bedtime, coming back to do, coming home to do homework, it is by far the most difficult transition I have had. And I haven't been working now. I need to start work again next week. So getting ourselves organized
3: and back to, you know, reality.
2: Hi. Okay. So I could definitely tell you as a very positive I know I like to motivate I know I like to inspire and that's my page but that's who I am personally and so for me the hardest transition is the Omer um you know the idea of like no music and it's like it's it's hard um as Jewish people, I think we've been through enough that it's like hard that we have to go through that. And even the three weeks, because of the fact that the kids are finally on summer vacation and you want to do all kinds of activities with them. So as a mother, that's challenging to do activities during the summer, the three weeks. Um, so the sad periods in our um, calendar, like the Omer and the three weeks of Tisha B'Av, those are the hardest periods of the year.
1: I think those few weeks,
3: like Cheshvan, um, when the chagim are kind of over and you're on this high, and uh, it's just normal life, and all of a sudden, like school is really starting and you're kind of getting back into that schedule of like having a five day week, um, is is really really difficult for me
1: um, mentally, and I know is kind of the most challenging time in my family. Always love hearing from those normal from women. It's always so validating just to get glimpses from uh, real people answering the questions that we pose to them. Rifki, I'm going to ask you, what part of the year do you find the most difficult when it comes to transitions?
0: Maybe it's just because I'm in it right now, but I feel like this time of year, because it is school is starting and also Yantiv. So I always feel like I don't have enough headspace or hours in the day to really be able to focus on both of them to the extent that I would like so I'm like transitioning into the most and I love the high holiday period it's so amazing and so full of potential for growth and I always just feel like at this stage of my life baruch Hashem I just I cannot give it the amount of attention I need to because I also need to make sure that my kids are like physically and mentally and emotionally prepared for school so I feel like I find that transition, this transitional period especially hard also the weather's getting colder I find that hard
1: oh I'm I love the weather getting colder it's just a nice (laughs) relief (laughs) <laughs> okay I hear that uh, I guess I, I yeah. feel like I
0: you know the impending winter is what I'm sorry I shouldn't even that say it's true loud. pretend I pretend oh, I didn't yes.
1: say it <laughs> it's like don't speak of Voldemort <laughs> yep yep um okay about so you, for Alex? me yeah for me I think not to say that I don't struggle with transitions because I do and regarding the transition you're talking about like with cooking for Yancev let's say like I have to literally like pull myself out out of my regular daily routine to be like, no, I am shopping free on tip. No, I need to cook now. I'm stopping everything else and just focus on this. And then when I focus on it and I'm like, okay, I can do this because this is the only thing that's like, I need to focus on right now. But yeah. I find that like transitioning into getting ready for tip very hard, just in terms of mindset shift. Um, but, but I really, oh, okay, okay so I'll add a second one. <laughs> the, mm-hmm. the, when my kids are struggling with transitions, then I'm struggling with transitions. I'm struggling with uh, their transitions. Yes, Right. Yeah, like, absolutely. So when we all talk about that period between camp and school, mm-hmm. you know, as a difficult transition, um, I, I, year after year, I'll be like, I. It's almost like you. You're when your kids are struggling with transitions, like you're like, oh my gosh, like I need to send this kid for this evaluation and that kid for that because it's like they're really having a hard time, but then wait, once they're done with that transition and they get to school, things are just better, you know? Yeah. So yeah, it's basically not freaking out when my kids are freaking out during their transitions. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's the challenge. That is relatable. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. So now let's, we're going to bring you our interview with Dr. Aviva Goldstein. Dr. Goldstein is an educator, lecturer, and family counselor with a private practice based in Jerusalem. She occupies the space where the worlds of positive psychology, parenting, child and adolescent development and Judaism come together. The common thread throughout her work is the desire to bring research findings and insights about children to the people who raise them. Enjoy! We are very excited to have Dr. Aviva Goldstein here with us today. Dr. Goldstein, on your website it says that you have a desire to bring research findings and insights about children to the people who raise them, and I just... I love that so much. I think it's such a beautiful goal and like has such potential for impact on a broad level. I love it. Do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, like how you got into this field, what you love about it, whatever you want to share with our listeners?
2: sure sure um I, i'll just interrupt myself and say like i'm so excited to be with you guys every time i listen to the episode i think to myself like oh, i just want to go hang out with them like it's an interesting episode <laughs> i just kind of want to hang out um and even Yay, more so the, 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 the normal from teens like i want to hang out with those guys also like wow. awesome, awesome. <laughs> um okay so i live in israel um, next week is actually our 10 year ali anniversary as we call it. So we've been there for quite some time. Um, I have a whole bunch of kids. Um, how I got into what I do, um, really started a thousand years ago when I was a little kid. Um, I was always the one doing like groups in shul, Like I was always the one like gathering all the kids and playing some kind of game. Um, and I think that was just sort of very organic for me. Um, So as I sort of grew up, the the clearest path for me was to go into the field of education. I really started as a classroom teacher. I loved it. Um, And I was really drawn to say like the kids in the back, not in the front. I mean, I was close with all my students, thank God, but like the ones who weren't making eye contact, the ones who weren't raising their hand, I was always sort of drawn to those kids and curious, like what's going on with them? Like, why is their homework incomplete and crumpled and like, what's, what's, their story. Um, and thank God, when I did both my master's and my doctorate at the Israeli School of Education at YU, they had tracks. And so I was able to be in the track of like psychology and child development, adolescent development. So I was able to be in that education world, but so, so much on the psychology side. And I fell in love with it. Um, and some of my closest mentors, and now thank God, friends to this day, um, were professors of mine. Um, from graduate school all those years ago, because they really sort of mapped out the role of psychology within the field of education and how much, you know, you can't isolate sort of the brain from the soul of the kid. Um, and so I was in classroom teaching for quite some time. And when we moved to Israel, I was really upside down, inside out, had no idea what I was going to do professionally, not because the school system is better or worse. It's just so fundamentally different. And I had always been under sort of the safety of the umbrella of a school. Um, And it was actually Dr. David Pelkovitz, who was one of my mentors. Um, He, I call him my Rebbe, like on his Talmud. Um, He's the one who really pushed me. And he said, (laughs) whatever you were going to do in a school, in New Jersey somewhere, right. <laughs> just, just do it privately. And I was like, you're crazy. What are you talking about? Um, but thank God he pushed me and little by little, I got into this field of doing counseling. Um, mm. and I love it. And, and thank God, because had we not made Aliyah, I probably never would have you know, pursued this. Um, and I feel like the luckiest person on earth. I love what oh. I do. Yeah. Um, it's like such a treat to get to do it. And I feel really honored that people sort of let me in on all of their inner stuff Hmm. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I do. So I'm curious, you as a classroom teacher
1: decided to pursue a PhD in psychology or you, what were you planning to do with that? So I was
2: already early on in my teaching, I'd started the master's degree. Um, and there is where I realized, Oh, it's not just this sort of gut instinct in my kishkas that's drawing me to these kids. There are actual professionals that can help guide me there. Um, and it was only once I started the doctorate that I really started to crystallize like what my real passions were. Mm. Um, I, I, I didn't totally know what the end vision was going to be professionally. You know, I'd mm. be in one of the big schools. I'd be, you know, the administrator that does the homeschool stuff, you know, not the school psychologist, but mm-hmm. somebody who, who, you know, does that kind of stuff, who would do a lot of social emotional stuff. Um, and, and that kind of exists in, in the North American day school world more or less in, in different colors and shapes in different places, but that kind of exists. And that's why I was so upside down when I got to Israel, because I really Aww. couldn't figure out where was I going? So it was a blessing in multiple ways making Aliyah, it sounds like multiple, multiple. Yeah. I always say, I want to get a pumper sticker on my car that says like happiest Olim ever.
1: <laughs> wow. Very inspiring. So, so you touched on positive psychology. I hear this term a lot.
2: Can you tell us a little bit about what it is? Sure. Um, the first important thing to say is a little bit it's gotten diluted over the years, um, as it's sort of gone to the masses. It's now really um, very often associated with sort of self-helpy kind of fluffy kind of stuff. Um, at its core, it's actually quite a serious discipline. Traditional psychology basically looks at, if you think about what you know about traditional psychology, it's all the stuff that's not working. It's disorder, dysfunction, disability. And the goal of traditional psychology is to understand all those things and then say how far away from the disability or the dysfunction or the disorder can we get? Um, And probably 20, 30 years ago, a guy named uh, Martin Seligman, Dr. Martin Seligman, um, had had been one of the world's leading experts in depression. And a lot of what we know about depression, thank God we know from from his work, but he sort of had an ugly divorce, had all kinds of stuff going on in his family, and he found himself depressed. Mm -hmm. And as one of the leading experts in psychology and specifically in depression, he realized, shoot, I know a lot about where I'm at right now scientifically, I don't know a lot about getting out of here and where I want to go. Um, And in the 90s, he was elected as the president of the APA, the American Psychological Association. And when you're the president, you get to do all kinds of stuff. So he he literally made a field of positive psychology. And it's it's rigorous science, um, but it's looking at all the things in life that do work, that are working um, from the same sort of mechanisms of what we know from traditional psychology, it's biology, neurology, sociology, all those kinds of things, but saying like, how do we understand, if we can understand depression, can we understand joy? right? Neurologically, if we can understand dysfunction, can we understand, let's say resilience? What's at play when something, when somebody is demonstrating resilience as opposed to, you know, folding under the pressure of of being overwhelmed. So Um, this is, this is the field that is um, Dr. Angela Duckworth in this field. Yes, 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 yes. So there are a lot of great, great names. Um, Angela Duckworth is one of them. There's a lot of stuff on, um, so grit is like part of it, um, right? Because that's, something's working, right? So let's understand that science, Typically, when somebody is sort of gritty, Um, empathy and gratitude and friendship and all of those things that we now kind of intuitively know are are the good stuff in our lives. Um, But understanding it scientifically, what's going on inside so that we can not only understand it, but hopefully also replicate it. I love it. Um, and I think it's so fascinating that it
0: was, you know, that it came about when, you know, Dr. Seligman had reached that point where he's, I think it's, it's very, um, and what's what I'm looking for? Self-aware of him to be like, oh, I know a lot about this place, but like how are we, you can't help someone get out if you don't have the actual tools to like study, like what gets someone out, you know? Right,
2: right. hundred yeah. percent. The other thing I'll say is, and there's another sort of, I'm dropping Dr. Pelkovitz's name a lot, but um, he was the first one that I really heard from about this and it was years ago before anybody was you know publishing about it or talking about it it was really still just in academia mm-hmm. and he was introducing some of these concepts and talking about the field and i fell in love with it because it was so just instinctively jewish like mm-hmm. every study after study after study that came out was sort of not validating cuz yiddishkeit doesn't need validation but it was sort of scientifically showing or demonstrating what Torah has been saying for thousands of years about how to live, you know, quote unquote, the good life. Um, yeah. And so it was sort of this marriage of the Torah and the science and all this stuff. And I fell in love. And I was like, oh my gosh, everybody needs to know about this stuff. You know? Which is good stuff, you know? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So you've worked a
0: lot with students on their gap year. How did that come about that you ended up working with that particular population?
2: To be honest, I'm not even sure how it started. I absolutely love it. it. It's one of my favorite populations. I happen to love adolescence. All the angst and the who am I and the where am I and how am I going to go and where am I going to go and how am I going to get there? I, I, I love it. And particularly students on their gap year, developmentally at that age anyways, are asking the big questions. And when you put them in the context and the environment of the gap year program, whether it's, it's a yeshiva seminary or a totally not religious program I work with you know across the spectrum, and um, it, it sort of clarifies the questions, not necessarily the answers, but a lot of questions are raised for students during their gap year. They're really sort of one foot is lingering in childhood and one foot is making its step towards adulthood, and they're sort of doing the dance of negotiating how am I going to get there and who do I want to be when I get there, um, and and it's just really great at this point. I would say more than fifty percent of my practice is Gap Year students.
1: Wow.
0: Um, wow,
2: from all different kinds of backgrounds, and I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, love
1: it. my son is there now. Uh, he just oh, got, nice!
2: Yeah, just give a him my number. <laughs> I really
1: probably should. All I know is he's been calling me multiple times a day because the cell phone service is messed up, and you know the. The sheets that we ordered from Blanket Express don't fit the beds. And I'm thinking to my mind, like, this is a transition. This is a transition. <laughs> he's not ready to cut ties for mommy at home. Oh I don't think he's listening to this episode, but you know what I mean? Like, that's just one great example. Totally. Like, let's talk about that a little bit. You know, the, the, the topic of this episode is transitions. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'm personally going to take advantage of our interview today.
2: <laughs> Go for um,
1: it. <laughs> Yeah, just your thoughts about the transition that many students have going into yeshiva and seminaries. You know, I keep on hearing when I was there, wait until Hanukkah, wait until Hanukkah. Mm -hmm. And as a mother now, I'm thinking Hanukkah. That's like a million years from now. (laughs) I hope the transition is a little bit smoother before that. And then I'd like you to talk about the transition um, for students once they come home. You know, um, it's September. So some of our listeners may have had children have come home the past couple months and they're easing into the transition themselves or they're starting their new academic year or whatever it is. Can you talk about both of those areas of transition?
2: Sure. So the year in Israel is like a really funky time because um, for the vast majority of students, it's the first time that they've been somewhat independent for the longest period of time. Right? Meaning... Some kids, I'll call them kids when they're in high school, um, you know, will go to camp or they'll go to Israel for the summer. They'll do something. But it's it's somewhat short-lived, and there's usually a whole lot of adult supervision around. So the high school kid might be the counselor, but there's a 30-year-old in the office. There's a 50-year-old who's been running the program forever. There's a college student who did it a few years ago, and now he's a senior something or other, right? And when you go to Israel, it's not like there's no supervision. Obviously, all the schools have, you know, staffs. Um, but no one's really watching if you ate dinner, no one's really checking, you know, it's laundry day. Did you make sure you found all your socks, right? Like they might tell you it's laundry day, but no one's really on top of it in that way. And I actually think it's, it's quite healthy because at a certain point they have to learn how to be on their own. Um, but, but some students do really well and they thrive with that kind of newfound independence that they didn't have before others sort of like get crushed under the weight of independence. Um, and the vast majority of them, like with most transitions, um, it's hard at the beginning and then they figure it out. I think that's where the, where the majority of them are. Um, but what's interesting is sort of the conversations that come out from this newfound independence. Things ranging from, wow, I never realized how much my parents did for me. I'm so appreciative. I can't believe I never, you know, picked up on that to um, I've had students be very frustrated with their parents. Like I know why they didn't tell me um, how to unload the dishwasher or how to, how to fold my clothing. But like now I don't know how to fold my clothing. And, and like there's resentment there, which is interesting. So sort of navigating this newfound independence, I think is like a hallmark of the year in general and certainly the beginning of the year. One of the things that was interesting, sort of seeing up close the students that were there during the peak of Corona stuff, of COVID stuff, and please God, by the time we're listening to this episode, we will be past that, but who knows, Um, um, is that so much of that experience was altered right? Because Israel was in a lockdown, there was no going to Ben Yehuda or going to Mamilla or missing your curfew and then learning, oh, can I get away with missing my curfew? Or did I learn the consequence of missing my curfew? All of those learning experiences, a lot of them weren't there during the year, during COVID or the year and a half, whatever it was. So I think this year's students will have, please God, um, a really interesting opportunity to sort of watch their own independence grow as the country itself is navigating boundaries and what's open and what's closed and what's okay and what's not okay. Um, And the schools themselves have to grapple with this and nobody really has the right answers. Everyone's really just trying their best to figure it out. But, but I think sort of trying to navigate that newfound independence is, is like a hallmark of it. And it almost, I mean, I hope lightning doesn't strike me. It almost doesn't matter how many Rashis they learn. Right if they haven't, if they haven't learned that part from the year. Um, I think that's sort of, obviously I want them learning Rashi, but, but if they come home and they haven't figured out how to make sure all their socks got into the laundry, then it's sort of like, okay, but, but now what, like, when will you learn to mm-hmm. get all your dirty socks into laundry? Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's like, I think a really cool element. And the schools that do like reflective stuff, you know, here's where we are in the beginning of the year. Here's where you are at the end of the year, that kind of stuff. It's really remarkable for the students themselves to see sort of April, May, June, you know, where they're at and how far they've come. Um, cause it's a really cool process. Like it happens mm-hmm. somewhat organically. That's a pretty, it's a, it's a cool thing to watch. It's so fascinating to me that these are the things that they're learning that they have to
0: learn independent of us, their parents, you know, which like gives me like, a little pang right here when I'm saying that, <laughs> even. But um, what, what do you? What have you learned? Like you said that you work across the spectrum, you know, the the religious spectrum of kids. What have you learned? Like across the board, are things that are common, you know, for the the workings of this particular age group, and and what 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 have you learned about like just I guess the workings of their minds as they're individuating and as they're coming
2: into their own independence, but. Kind of. (laughs) Right. Kind of. Exactly. Yeah. I think there are some like what we might call universal truths, you know, that just sort of almost everyone at some point sort of brushes up against this. The biggest, and this is for adults also, not just adolescents or late adolescents, but the biggest question is like, am I normal? Mm. And, and, and am I normal, um, in the way I relate to friends, am I normal in the way I relate to my parents, am I normal in the way I think of myself, am I normal in my comfort or discomfort with concepts of God, right, like all of this stuff, and that's not even touching any of the sort of like the clinical pathological stuff, Um, but everybody just sort of wants to know what's normal, Um, and, and one of the things that I think is interesting is for a lot of our kids, just because the way our communities are organized, it's really boxy. You know, you know, kids are in boxes and 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 to some degree, it's actually healthy, right? We want kids to know where they belong and where they don't belong. And we want them to have boundaries and want th- we want them to understand things. But as they go into adulthood, some of them are questioning, should I stay in the box? Should I get out of the box? Should I go check out that box? <laughs> Maybe I don't want a box. Maybe I want a bag, you know, um, and, and that's that's also part of the individuation process of saying, you know, the big questions, let's say, how do I choose a Hashkafa that's right for me? if it's not necessarily my parents' hashkaffa. Um, You know, is the main question, um, you know, what I'm wearing? Or is the main question what's motivating the decision for what I'm wearing, right? And those are really hard questions. And that's not necessarily stuff that we talk about in high school, partially because I think our schools are not set up for it, but also developmentally, like, you know, seventh graders are not there. Um, but but those are some of the big questions and and it it ties into the, am I normal? It's where do I belong? Mm. Um, and when, when they're in Israel on the one hand, really blossoming as these independent individuals. And at the same time, really trying to assert their place in the Jewish people, the question of where do I belong is like a big question, you know? Um, and it has implications of where am I going after this year? Am I coming back? Am I going to college? Which college am I going to within the college? Which program am I going to choose? When am I going to st- start dating? How am I going to start dating? There's so many different flavors of dating, right? So all those questions are sort of running around in their minds, whether they're aware of it or not, mm-hmm. all sort of pulsating through the year. It's a lot, hmm. it's pretty <laughs> a lot. intense.
1: And it doesn't an end, you know, like we all Still have those questions, right? Unless right. people are just perfectly fit into their box. But I think that's that can be a journey that many from Jews continue to go through through adulthood. I want to swing back to the second piece here, Aviva. I'm really interested in your thoughts about transitioning post-seminary, post-yeshiva students to mm-hmm. quote-unquote mm-hmm. real life. <laughs> right. What does that look right. like to add on to that? You know, you see people, and maybe we've experienced to some extent where you come back from your year in Israel or two years and you're very inspired, and then fast forward five years, 10 years, we settle into routines and some people take major detours from where they were hushkafically and observance-wise from where they were after that year. So is that part of the bigger you know, transition process? I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on that as well. Yeah.
2: So... I mean, the first thing I'll say is there's actual science, like there are actual studies on the phenomenon of flipping out, huh. of sort of going to Israel and getting totally stark and going all the way to a certain direction, wherever you're starting, you know, to, to however many degrees. There's actual research on it. And and when you look at it from that perspective, it's actually fascinating. Um because when they, um, the researchers interviewed some number of hundreds of high school students and then Israel students and post-Israel students. And basically what they, they were able to isolate some really important variables to understand what's going on with that phenomenon. Um, the removal of grades, right? I'm no longer studying Chumash because I have a test. I'm studying Chumash because that's what my teachers are saying. Like, aren't you thirsty for this? Right. Mm. And either I'm thirsty or I'm curious, but they're no grade. So all of a sudden you can engage in material in a totally different way than you would engage wait did I get that did I see what he wrote did I take the right notes yeah. I, no, 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 right that's gone right um, so that that's one piece there was another piece about um, sort of being in a very immersive environment you know when when someone's in middle school or high school they're going to school and that's the vast majority of the hours of their day but they're for thousand other things going on in their lives and the lives of their parents and their siblings and blah blah blah. When you're in Israel for the year, your only job is to be in Israel for the year. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you don't have the distraction of, you know, I'm I'm the JV captain of the whatever and I have to go on the debate team and I have to submit my application for this and I have to na, 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 na. there's no distraction, right? It's totally immersive. And that's not to say that every kid thrives in that environment. Some kids really need those limitations um but if we want to understand the phenomenon itself of what they call flipping out that that was like another major contributing factor um and i don't have to bore you with all the details but basically to understand that it it makes sense the flipping out phenomenon makes sense is it consistent is it long term Mm -hmm. super super subjective Um, but what they did find in the study is that the vast majority of students that were sort of categorized as having flipped out when they actually like quantified how many, let's say degrees they have moved from the base of where they started at the beginning of the year, it actually wasn't that many degrees, right? So when we see somebody coming home dressing totally different than the way they left, we only see what we see. So we're like, oh my gosh, they've gone off the deep end, or oh my gosh, they've gone in the other direction. I can't believe she stopped wearing this, or he started wearing that, right? but it's only because we see it, but you can't really quantify emotional change or spiritual change. And so what they found is that the vast majority of students that have some degree of change while they're in, in their year in Israel, it's not actually that much. Mm. From, from their core, from their character, right? They might develop certain habits. They might take on different things. And some of that might just be attributed to to maturity and growing mm-hmm. up um, and taking things more seriously. But most kids, young adults, th- the core of their character actually doesn't change in the process. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's an important thing as the parents sort of anticipating their kids coming home to remember, is my kid still in there? whatever they're eating or not eating or whatever they're wearing or not wearing, is that my kid still inside? Maybe it's a different version of that kid maybe it's a more evolved version of that kid maybe it's a more confused version of that kid. but is that my kid still in there or does this feel like somebody who's sort of dressing up with somebody else's personality? And I think that's an important uh-huh. an important question to be asking. Um, uh-huh. The other piece about transitioning back home I think is and, and this goes back to like one of the universal truths, I think all of us short, sort of share, a desire to just not be judged. I think none of us want to be judged. Um, And, you know, if you're the kid coming home and you've picked up on certain things, you don't want to be judged for the things that you've picked up on. And if you're the parent that's waiting for the kid to come home that hasn't changed, you don't want to be judged for the decisions that you make in your home. Um, And so I think that's an important piece also to remember that it's not like one person this is happening to. This is a family that's going through an evolution of some sorts, maybe a revolution of some sorts, but Mm -hmm. but there's change happening and the kids need to be sensitive to the parents and the parents need to be sensitive to the kids. And I think just to remember, like, none of us want to be judged. Like how uncomfortable is Yom Kippur? Right. And Mm that's, that's not even by like a person. Right. Um, So I think that that's also an important, an important piece in all of it in, in talking about the, the, sort of the easing back into this quote unquote real life, you know, whether it's back home or going to college or whatever it might be, just to be really careful about that judgment piece. Like how judgy am I being about that person? How judgy are they being about me? I think that's mm-hmm. a, that's an important piece of it.
1: Yeah, and giving them space because like you said, like there may be that bungee effect back, right? Mm-hmm. Where they're gonna mm-hmm. censor themselves. It may take a year, it may take a couple years, it may take a few months, but to give mm-hmm. them that process and that space in their journey. Right.
0: Right. And and I guess at what point, just thinking about a bungee effect, like, but what if they don't bungee back? Like, you know, how do you go through, like, you don't necessarily wait for them to quote unquote, go back to normal. At what point do you say like, oh, this is
2: really who they are now? You know? Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Great question, Rifki.
2: I know of a family where um, the kids were raised in a home that was like fairly modern observant, but fairly modern. And the daughter, when she got married, decided she wanted to wear a wig. And the father was horrified because when I kiss her on her head, I'm not really kissing her on her head. Hmm. You could totally understand where he's coming from. On the other hand, she's an adult and she's going to make the decisions that are right for her. So like, where do you draw the line between, you know, for whom am I making these decisions? I guess that, that, that would be the question, you know, and where's our line of, um, I owe it to my parents to do X, Y, Z, or I owe it to myself to do ABC, and what if those are not the same thing? Right, it's hard. That's really then how do you really navigate hard. those
0: potential conflicts? I mean, he could kiss her on her right. forehead. That's an option.
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the bottom line is, it doesn't really matter because it's not his decision. Well,
0: we're right. right, right. But at the same it's time, hard. I feel like you know That's when really hard, when though. you do right when you do make a decision. Like I'm, you know, I'm very different than my parents, and it, it is you know it has been over the past you know 15 years of me being in this lifestyle. It really has been a lot of navigating of where can we compromise, where can we not compromise, and how can we meet. I wouldn't even say in the middle. I don't think the middle is even an option. But how can we navigate um, a way that has the greatest amount of respect and shalom for all of our varying uh, lifestyles? Mm-hmm. That, that's important. Yeah, I, to I be once sensitive. heard
2: somebody say like, if we could only put as much emphasis on our like being Adam the Havero stuff that we put on, I don't I'm not saying God forbid that that would like come second tier, but let's say on how seriously we keep Shabbos mm-hmm. or how closely we pay attention to Hashgachas. If we could be that meticulous in our, mm-hmm. our Bein Havero, I heard somebody once say it's not my idea. Like I think we'd be in a very different place and, mm-hmm. I, and I think there's something to that.
1: So Dr. Golstein, what are your thoughts about the next transition which so many people experience where they lessen their religious commitments and observance, you know, post, post-seminary post and yeshiva?
2: Yeah of viva, not Dr. Goldstein. Aviv- awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not that formal. Um, you know, again, I, I think it comes back to this question of like, what's at the core? Am I doing this decision? Because like this stuff is just like, whatever, it's really hot in the summer. I don't want to wear all this stuff. It, and legit, right? Everybody's allowed to make whatever decision they want to make. Or is it, I just never really connected to this. And I took this thing on because mm-hmm. that's what everybody else was doing. And it just doesn't seem relevant for me. Right? Then there's the question of like, you know, when somebody sort of bungees back in that other direction and stops doing things that had mattered to them, um, are they are they honest with themselves, not only about why I'm bungeeing back, but about sort of the validity of these decisions? Well, it's not really a halacha. Well, it's just a rabbanan. Well, it's a <laughs> hug. Well, it's... A... And fine. Like, again, everybody can make whatever decisions they want to make, but I think Like to keep ourselves in check, the best thing we can do is just keep being honest with ourselves, you Mm -hmm. know, and just saying like, why am I doing this? And how did I get to this decision? And then did I think it through in both directions?
1: It's great advice. I mean, I definitely think in the yeshiva and seminary experience, there is a bit of peer pressure, right? From friends. Mm -hmm, For sure. And Mm -hmm. also I've thought about over the years to please your Rebbeim and your teachers. You know, Mm -hmm. there are some kids that really are, my, my, my son's high school Rebbe calls them Rebbe pleasers. You know, and it's like there's an expectation to grow. There's there's, you know, you see your friends growing and people may be jumping into certain levels of you know, commitments um that maybe may are are not ready for or not really
2: sustainable. Mm -hmm. And I think that speaks to to what we were saying before about how immersive it is, right? When you're surrounded by like-minded people with very similar goals you're far more likely to engage in that. Whereas when you come back here and you're in, I don't know, medical school, right. Or living with whoever it might be. So, okay. So that's also an immersive experience. Absolutely. The environment is huge. So transitions in general are stressful
0: and we've collectively as a world have been in one transition or another globally for like the past two years (laughs) with all the stresses that has entailed, uh, what kind of advice could you give our listeners about how to stay calm, stay connected, stay present when we could be facing more transitions we don't even know? Like it's, you know, I feel like you're dancing on moving, moving ground for such a long time and it it, it can be a very stressful, it is a very stressful experience. So how can we kind of move forward with confidence and poise when we don't know what the future is going to bring which can I just say we never know what the future is going to bring it's just like really very much in our face right now yeah
2: <laughs> well I'll I'll challenge the premise of the question with with your permission and and with respect I'm not so sure we always need to be confident and calm and poised mm. right like in the face of total uncertainty why do we absolutely have this expectation of ourselves that we just have to hold it together why <sighs> Right. So like I like you, thing Aviva. Is, like, <laughs> I told you I wanted to hang out with you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but really, right? Like, don't we have this unreasonable expectation for ourselves? Like, why yes. don't we hold it together? Right? Like, if you need to let it out, let it out, right? We all have bad days. We all get angry. <laughs> we all cry. We all get in a funk. And that's fine. Obviously, it becomes problematic when when sort of the dark cloud is so pervasive that it gets in our way of functioning. Right? But but the premise itself that like, I need to, you know, face the next school year with confidence, why we well, have no idea what the heck is gonna happen, you know? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't know what's gonna happen. But with that said, and, and I guess without even realizing, here's like another one of those universal truths, I think most of us don't like unpredictability. That's not to say that some of us are more spontaneous than others, but I think spontaneity is very different than unpredictability. Um, And and I think on some level, a lot of us like just some level of consistency. Some people need to have, you know, they've used the same bar of soap for the last 30 years, the same brand of (laughs) of bar soap, and they they would never change the bar soap, right? (laughs) Um, And other people, every time they go to the hair salon, they get a different color, a different cut. Right. So some of it is, again, checking in with ourselves and being honest with ourselves and saying, what kind of person am I? How do I deal with change? Do I like predictability or not? But but if if we can make the case that all of us want predictability, even a little like the common denominator is at least a little bit. So one of the things we know that was really helpful over the last year and a half ish um, has been finding ways to create consistency, even in the midst of chaos. Mm. So are we going to school next week? I don't know. But like now we've started this ritual of we all have dinner together. Whereas like before we never had dinner together because everybody was running in a thousand directions. So like, I don't know what's happening with school, but you know that we're having dinner every night. Right. Mm. So it could be it could be superficial. It could be huge. Um, but but finding even small things that are consistent that are reliable that are predictable in our days especially for kids but but I think as, as parents we need that as well when when the stuff really first started to unravel I must have been sent I don't know 15 24 20- five different versions of really well-intentioned parents and teachers and, you know, different people that I knew that were sending me like, Hey, do you want to see the schedule I made for myself? Hey, do you want to oh, see yeah. the schedule I made for my kids? Color coordinated. And he- like during this 15 minute break, that's when we're going to have like apple slices. And then we're going to have like physical routines <laughs> and like literally within two weeks, those things were torn up yeah, and yeah. everyone was just like, they looked like they'd come from like the zombie that was, apocalypse. That was, <laughs>
0: that was 100% me, like trying to that's grasp so it. That's so risky. This, it was 100% me, so <laughs> like the I actually emailed this to someone and she was like you know this is like not sustainable right and I was like but what do you mean it must it has to be it has to be and then and then by the end I was like maybe we'll log into zoom I'm not sure maybe we'll go to the party. I don't know
2: <laughs> like we like do you guys just want to watch a screen much more than I would usually let okay yes. fine yes. right um, but what what was that what was happening with all of those adorable by the way and I happen to love a good graph and I love a good color coordinated anything so I loved seeing them but what, what was going on beneath all of that everyone was just trying to assert some control over something that was very out of control. Yeah. Right. And so I, ha- I've never spent an entire week with my family, not leaving the house. So what are we going to do this week? Having no idea that this was going to turn into weeks and months. Mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Years, Right. So I-, I think that's what it was. I've never experienced this before. Let me put my stamp of what I have experienced onto this unfamiliar thing. Um, and so look, if you are the kind of family that can rock one of those schedules and stick to it, power to you. I think the vast majority of people, it's not sustainable, like your friend said, but if you can find something that's consistent and reliable, um, I, I, we know sort of anecdotally that that's really helped a lot of people Hmm. over the last X number of months.
1: You know, I wonder if even like, let's just cut this down to the bare minimum. Mm -hmm. Even that consistent thing can be just a healthy relationship, you know, with a parent, Mm -hmm. you know, that's all that really matters
2: because they're with us all the time. You know, totally, and and so much more now than they used to be. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Like, and I wasn't even joking when I described families that never eat dinner together. Right, because yeah. somebody has basketball practice and somebody has mishmar and somebody has a board meeting and somebody has to come home yeah. late from work and everybody's in a thousand directions. Like, who has an hour to sit with your entire family at I don't know six thirty? Yeah. Right. But those, those kinds of things, and just going back to sort of how we can sort of pat ourselves on the back a little bit. We really do have that built into our system of Yiddish kite, even yeah. if Sunday through Friday morning are bananas for all of yeah. us. Yeah. Having Shabbos is a game changer. It's absolutely. a real game changer. 100%. Yeah.
1: During co- that COVID time, I mean, like it's not over, but you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Shabbos was absolutely our lifesaver. Absolutely. Yeah. And that and doesn't I mean every Shabbos was perfect. It just means that it was our lifesaver. Right. You know, right that was right. that consistent thing.
0: I think also just the fact that the Jewish calendar doesn't stop. It was mm-hmm. like the whole world mm-hmm. just like kind of like stopped and fell apart. Mm-hmm. But for us, mm-hmm. Jewish calendars, like it's still Yom Tov. It's still a fast day. It's still all of these things. People are That's still true. getting married. People are still having babies. I connected so deeply to like the Jewish people historically. I was like, oh, this is what we do. We keep going. No matter what mm-hmm. we're faced with, no matter what, we have this Messorah and it keeps Beautiful. us going. In Whatever way we can still connect with you know safely and everything, mm-hmm.
1: And I think the timing of this episode is really important because mm-hmm. you know we're going into a new school year, and like we all said, we don't know what's ahead. Maybe you can help us if you've like, how can we sort of go into this unknown year again, another year like how, how can we, how can you help prepare us for like some other transitions that we may be experiencing that we just may not
2: be ready for? Yeah. I'll just, I mean, I will empathize with you by just sharing my own. One of my daughters was supposed to have a bat mitzvah on Pesach. We live in Israel. The majority of our family lives in the States. Really, the whole story for bat mitzvahs for us is family. Like, we don't do a huge party. We don't do, yeah. So very quickly, we realized, like, oh, yeah, that's not happening. We'll schedule it for September. For (laughs) sure, everyone can come in September. And now I'm literally on the phone, like, all day trying to figure out is this thing happening or not, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So one thing that might be helpful and and sort of this echoes what we were saying before is like, we're always going to have some kind of transition. And instead of like fighting and using energy against it, like acknowledging, it sounds very therapist-y to say, but like embracing it, you know Um, we're going through a change, we're going through a transition. And and that's sort of the nature of life. That's what, what happens at every stage. It happens multiple times throughout somebody's lifetime. And just acknowledging instead of like, oh, I really hate change. Oh, I really hate transition. yesh, as they say in Hebrew, like this is what we got, you know, Um, that's one thing. The other thing I would say is um, maybe just doing a little exercise on ourselves of rethinking the way we've spoken about some specific COVID-related issues, this is sort of the micro before we look at the macro, but specific COVID issues in our homes with our children, right? Um, if schools are opening, so some kids in your kid's class come from homes that are like super pro-mask, for sure. And other kids in your kid's class are coming from homes that are super anti-mask. But it makes a big difference how their parents talk about it, right? If they come from a home or if your child's, comes from a home, although sure not your, your children um, come from a home where whoever's on the opposing side is described as an idiot, right? That's going to do something to that kid's belly when they're sitting in the classroom with the kid who either is or isn't wearing a mask or did or didn't get the vaccine because all of a sudden the whole situation is antagonistic, right? It's an us versus them when really we're all in this whole mess together, whether you want the mask or you don't want the mask, you want the vaccine, you don't want the mask That's none of my business, We're just all in this mess together. So the way we talk about this stuff, especially in front of our kids, I think makes a big difference because they're the ones going back to school. We're not going back to school. We're sending them back to school and we may be nervous about it. We may be angry about it. We may be who knows where about it, but we're not the ones in school. We want our kids to feel as okay as they can feel. But if they come from a home that says, you know, masks are the only way that we're going to be able to get back to safety And that kid is sitting in a class that says anybody who's wearing a mask is an idiot. And this is totally ridiculous. And you're totally, you know, you're a snowflake and you're overreacting. What is that kid supposed to do? How is that child supposed to feel safe? Do I take it off Mm. or do I leave it on? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Right. And it goes back to all the stuff of we just want to belong. We're trying to figure out which box to sit in. And if our kids are hearing these really intense messages, I think that can be really, really hard for them. I think it can be really, really challenging.
1: Okay, well we've got our work cut out for us. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. No. (sighs) Excellent. This has this has really been very enlightening, I think, empowering. And we need to be honest about these transitions and just first just like speak about them and accept that the fact that it is transition. And once we do that, you know who are we to think that everything is smooth sailing? No, like who said anything is over in life? Who said the hard times are over? They're never over. It's just one wave after the next. And that is the reality of life. And having that awareness, um, that you've shared with us, I think is the first step in handling them and jumping over those waves. So also, can I, I want to thank just you. Add one
2: more thing. Yeah. I'll just add one more thing. If Oops. we think about sort of the most important, meaningful, or, um, sort of growth inspiring moments in our lives, most of them were not easy. Mm. Most of our best growth has come from some of our hardest moments. And that's another really important thing, not only for us as the adults to remember, to sort of anchor ourselves, to say, I'm I'm somehow going to grow from this. Maybe I do know how, maybe I have no idea yet, but, but also for our kids, like things are hard and it's okay for things to be hard because we can do hard things and we're going to learn something about ourselves in the process.
0: Absolutely. I, I think that's a beautiful message. You know, it's like when your kids are riding a bike, like it, it is hard and scary and they fall down and mm-hmm. the bike falls on them and they cry mm-hmm. and it's hard. And then in the end. They and get, you
2: might cry when they fall. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like you can't separate
0: that. Right. Exactly. But in the end, they're going to be the kids riding around the block. Look, I rode around the block seven times. You know, that's obviously a very right. small and um low stakes kind of example, but then we can extrapolate to the, the bigger things where we can actually grow and develop as humans. But yeah, we got to jump those waves. Like you said, Alex, you know, we have to be aware <laughs> that the waves are there and then, yeah. And then we can grow. That's what
2: Yeah.
1: And this is the mantra. This is the takeaway. We can do hard things. Shout out to Rachi
2: Berkowitz. Can do hard <laughs> <laughs> we can do hard things. Rachi
1: Berkowitz is the principal of a girl's school here that she started a few years ago, Khabiba high school. And that is her mantra so you and love it you love and her <laughs> when the skies are open I'll come visit yes exactly. please do <laughs> thank you so much Aviva for being here on this episode of normal for Women. woman thank you for your time we've all gained so much
2: thank you so much for having me it's been such a good time hanging out with you guys
1: yes yay <laughs> Now it's time for this episode's takeaway. We're going to ask you to think about the question we posed to our normal for women at the beginning of this episode. What part of the year do you find the most difficult when it comes to transitions?
0: Once you've found your answer, think of one thing you can do to make things easier for yourself during that time of year. Something you can maybe prepare better for or slack off more. One actionable step to make your life
1: a little easier during those challenging transitions. Now it's time for five questions with a normal for a woman. Today's normal for a woman is Rachel Solomon from Beechwood, Ohio.
3: If you could be any month in the Jewish year, which month would you be and why? Okay, I'm going to cheat on this one a little and pick two sequential months because to me they have to go as a pair. I'm going to say Tishrei and Cheshvan. I really need a balance of busy and calm. I love all the holidays of Tishrei, the intensity of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the Simcha of Sukkot, Shemina and Simcha's Torah. I think I feel my most connected to Judaism during the month of Tishrei, but I really don't think I'd be able to handle going straight from the end of Tishrei into Kislev. I really need Cheshvan with its lack of holidays and the routine that we can get out of Cheshvan to recover from the insanity that is Tishrei.
1: What's your favorite mitzvah and why?
3: This is a really hard one, but I think I have to say Shabbos. It grounds my week. I get to slow down and reconnect. The focus on Torah and mitzvot, family and friends without the background noise of all the work, school, stress of the week helps to remind me what is most important. What do you do to recharge? Honestly, I really wish I was better about self-care in general. At this point, I think just trying to take time to be by myself without needing to speak to anyone else for a little bit is the best way I find to recharge. I actually really love listening to podcasts, this one included, of course. Um, So whether it's going for a walk or a drive or even just folding laundry while listening to a podcast helps me to take a break and recharge. What do you love about yourself? I'd have to say I love that I've always been extremely curious by nature and I've always had a really deep love of learning. As an adult, that's kind of melded into being a critical thinker, and I really enjoy tackling new problems. This has definitely shaped the career path that I've taken, but it also plays an important role in my day-to-day and personal life. What do you think the From world needs more of? I'm saying this looking in the mirror here. Not that I have mastered this, but I feel that we all really need more empathy, but before we can get there, I think the from world really needs more healthy self-confidence. Emphasize the word healthy. If everyone can feel wholly comfortable with who they are and how they live their lives, then when we look at others who do things differently, we can do so without feeling threatened or judgmental. We would hopefully be able to focus more on what we have in common, which I'm confident is generally much more than we think or realize at first glance. Thanks for listening today.
0: If you're enjoying this podcast, feel free to share an episode with a friend or someone you think will appreciate it too. You can also, of course, like, and share our social media posts on Facebook and Instagram.
1: A reminder how to rate and review our podcast, if you'd be so kind, just go to the platform where you play normal for women, click on a star to rate it and type up a short comment to review. It really takes just a couple minutes and it truly helps expand our reach. See you next episode.